brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome to the show, everybody. Okay, today we are going to talk about what's called cognitive dissonance. It's, it's what you really think, and a lot of people act one way, and then they behave a different way, and then they say one thing, and then they do another. A lot of people have a professional life, and then they have a personal life, and none of the two shall meet. Neither should the perspectives meet. And so a lot of cognitive dissonance goes on within all of our communication as people, and everyone is affected by this, and everyone has issues in this area. Um, Some is good and some is bad. So let's define what cognitive dissonance is officially. People tend to seek consistency in their beliefs and perceptions, and that's why cognitive dissonance is an issue. So what happens when one of your beliefs conflicts with another previously held belief or what happens if you engage in behaviors that are in conflict with your beliefs. I mean, the term cognitive dissonance is really the hypocrisy of humanity. I mean, all of us are hypocrites in some way, shape, form, or fashion, where what we think or what we express through our ego is not necessarily what we really, truly think. And there's a lot of dark thoughts out there that people are afraid to express. Uh, The term cognitive dissonance is basically used to describe the feelings of discomfort that result from holding two conflicting beliefs. And when there is an inconsistency between the beliefs and the behaviors, something has to change in order to eliminate or reduce the dissonance. And and so what happens is, especially if you look at uh, reporters and, and people that ask questions, they use cognitive dissonance as their main attack. They try to find out how someone contradicts what they really think. You know, according to the theory, people experience tension or or discomfort with their beliefs or attitudes and when they don't match their behaviors. And people tend to seek consistency in their beliefs and their perception. And when there is a discrepancy between their beliefs or behaviors, something has to change in order to eliminate or reduce that dissonance. Now, now, how exactly does cognitive dissonance work and how does it influence how we think and behave? Well, Leon Festinger proposed a theory of, uh, and he was a psychologist, he's a psychologist, he, a theory of cognitive dissonance, and it's basically centered on how people try to reach internal consistency. And that is a thing called integrity, where what you say and what you do go together. He, he suggested that people have an inner need to ensure that their beliefs and behaviors are consistent Inconsistent or conflicting beliefs lead to disharmony, which people strive to avoid. And so, you know, if you want to be somebody that can be trusted, you need to be able to have your beliefs and your actions fall together. And so people that struggle with cognitive dissonance in their life, people that are indecisive, people that have a lot of uh, uh, strained beliefs, uh, the problem is, is that they are not aligned and that makes them not trustable. And that is the one factor, uh, you know, that grows love. If, if you take um, trust out of the picture, love will stagnate. 
if you add trust to love, and that is the one thing you want to work on, especially in therapy, is if you establish trust, you don't have a whole lot to argue about because you know what you got. When you don't have that trust there, that's what all arguments fall on. And cognitive dissonance is how we measure whether a person can be trusted. Um, You know, Fessinger wrote a book, The Theory of Cognitive Dissonance, and he explained that cognitive dissonance can be seen as an antecedent condition which leads to activity towards dissonance reduction just as hunger leads towards activity oriented towards hunger reduction. You know, it's very different motivation from what psychologists are used to dealing with, but as you can see, nonetheless, it's extremely powerful. The degree of dissonance people experience can depend on a few factors, including how highly we value a particular belief and the degree in which our beliefs are inconsistent. The overall strength of the dissonance can also be influenced by several factors uh, that cognitions uh, that are more personal, such as beliefs about yourself, tend to result in greater dissonance. The importance of, of cognitions also plays a role that things that involve beliefs that are highly valued and typically result in stronger dissonance. Also, the ratio between dissonant thoughts and con- uh, consonant thoughts can also play a role in how strong the feelings of dissonance are. So, the ratio between dissonant thoughts um, is extremely important to examine because that is where you want to correct your course. If your goal is to be a person who doesn't flip-flop on every possible thing and somebody that holds a consistent point of view, then you want to lessen the ratio between your dissonant thoughts and your consonant thoughts. You know, a consonant thought is basically the thoughts and beliefs that you hang your hat on. You know, the greater the strength of the dissonance, the more pressure there is to relieve the feelings of discomfort. So cognitive dissonance can often have a very powerful influence over our behaviors and actions. You've got to start by looking at some examples of how it works. So, you know, it can occur in many areas, but it's particularly evident in situations where individuals' behavior conflicts with beliefs that are integral to their self-identity. For example, consider a situation when a person places a value on being environmentally responsible, yet they just purchased a new car and later discover that they don't get great gas mileage. So what is the conflict? Well, it's important for that person to take care of the environment, but they're driving a car that's not environment friendly. And so in order to reduce the distance between the belief and the behavior, they have to make a few different choices. They can sell the car, purchase another one that gets better gas mileage, or they can reduce their emphasis on environmental responsibility. So in the case of a second option, um, their dissonance could be further minimized by engaging in actions that reduce the impact of driving gas-guzzling vehicles. So maybe they'll decide to work from home to where they don't have to drive a lot um, or utilize public transportation more frequently or uh, ride a bike to work on occasion so they can justify what they purchase that contradicts their belief. So, you know, when a, when a, a product or an item we purchase turns out badly, It conflicts with our previously existing belief about decision-making abilities. You know, um, know, uh, dissonance related to health behavior can also happen. Individuals who smoke might continue to do so even though they know it's bad for their health. So why would someone continue to engage in behavior they know is unhealthy? 
um, you know, according to, to Fessinger, the guy who wrote the book, The Theory of Di- uh, Cognitive Dissonance, a person might decide that they value smoking more than their health, deeming the behavior worth it in terms of risks versus rewards. Another way to deal with dissonance is to minimize the potential drawbacks. The smoker might convince themselves that negative health effects have been overstated, and they also might uh, um, uh, express that their health concerns uh, by telling people that they can't avoid every possible risk out there. So they'll justify their cognitive dissonance by doing that. You know, a lot of people will justify their dissonance rather than fix it. So how do you reduce, you know, how do you reduce cognitive dissonance? People try to seek this consistency, the, the, this consistency in thoughts, beliefs, and options. Well, it's, it's kind of a tough concept, but when there's conflicts out there, people often want to take steps to fix it. So number one, if you're going to fix it, you want to focus on more supportive beliefs that outweigh the dissonant belief or behavior. That means you may need to change your belief or soften your belief move it into something that is more supportable in your lifestyle. Um, For example, people who learn uh, that greenhouse emissions result in global warming might experience feelings of dissonance if they drive a gas-guzzling vehicle. So in order to reduce the the dissonance, they might seek out new information that disputes the connection between greenhouse gases and global warming. So this new information might serve to reduce the discomfort and dissonance that a person experiences. Well, you know, that leads to a lot of things like delusions and you know sometimes there are realities that we all have to face but sometimes these uh, dissonant beliefs and behaviors factor in you also may want to reduce the importance of uh, conflicting belief for example a person who cares about their health might be disturbed to learn that sitting for long periods of time during the day is linked to a shorter lifespan and since they have to work all day in an office and spend a great deal of time sitting it's difficult to change this behavior in order to, re- to reduce the feelings of dissonance. So in order to deal with the dissonance discomfort, they might instead find some way to justify their behavior by believing that their other healthy behaviors make up for that sedentary lifestyle at work. They also may want to change the conflicting beliefs so that it is consistent with other beliefs or behaviors. So changing the conflicting uh, thought is one of the most effective ways to dealing with dissonance, but it also is one of the most difficult, particularly in the case of deeply held beliefs and values. Change can be exceedingly difficult. You know, cognitive dissonance plays a role in how attractive a person is, how attractive their judgments are, how attractive their decisions are, how attractive their evaluations are, their wisdom. You know, becoming more uh, aware of conflicting beliefs impact the decision-making process in a very big way and improve our ability to make faster, more accurate choices. So mismatches between your beliefs and your actions can lead to feelings of discomfort, but those feelings can sometimes lead to change and to growth, and that's a good thing. So confronting your cognitive dissidence is a very important thing because it may spur growth. It may spur more legitimacy in your personality. It may be less defense mechanisms and justifications are needed to withhold and, and hold up your lifestyle. You know, in some instances, you might simply find a way to rationalize away conflict. But in some cases, you might change either your beliefs or your behavior to make the two consistent. For example, if you believe that exercise is important for your health, but you rarely make time for physical activity, 
you're going to have cognitive dissonance. This resulting discomfort may lead you to seek relief by increasing the amount of exercise you get each week. And in that instance, altering your behavior or increase consistency with your belief and reduce the cognitive dissonance you are experiencing. And that plays a positive role in your life. And so it's important for people to really grab on to the idea of what is my cognitive dissonance in my life. And you're really the only, the only uh, person that can do that. You know, how does this cognitive dissonance happen? Well, the people that have a lot of it have abuse uh, in their life, and they often uh, reshape their entire belief systems by that abuse. So if if you are like most victims of narcissistic abuse, you experience a distorted sense of reality through the majority of the relationship with that person that is the narcissist because you are forced to have to deal with their narcissism and shape your personality to fit that. And so when people are abused and accept that abuse rather than try to confront it or do away with it, uh, you're going to turn into a lot of justification of things that you really don't believe in. You know, when your partner's alternating sweetness and rage suddenly uh, uh, defined everything you believe about them, you experience an internal conflict, and that's known as cognitive dissonance. This uh, creates a a great self-doubt about your ability to predict a partner's abuse potential in the future. So as human nature asserts, you can begin to seek ways to remove the dissonance, uh, you know, most likely by denial. So you have to ask yourself, um, how emotional abuse creates cognitive dissonance? Well, prior to the abusive relationship, you always may have thought you were not the type of uh, person to fall under somebody's psychological manipulation, but you did. When your awareness of the relationship first changed from feeling loved to feeling mistreated, you may have told yourself that he or she was just in a bad mood. And as your partner begins to exhibit more frequent bouts of gaslighting behavior, where they would deliberately confuse and accuse you of acts against them, you may have felt very conflicted about your partner's feelings for you. And early attempts to leave that abuser may have resulted in blaming and threats against you for daring to leave the best partner you ever had in their mind. And this creates a lot of dissonance because your actions by staying with them contradict what your values are. You would never want someone else to be in a in a uh, abusive relationship. So instead of leaving, you'd sit there and justify why you're there and what is it about that person that's so wonderful. You know, there are harmful ways to 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 remove cognitive dissonance. You know, when you act uh, in ways that contradict your beliefs, it's another form of, of that. And so subconsciously, you will remove the dissonance with same thought patterns that caused your dissonance to begin with like evasion uh, of what you don't want to acknowledge creates a sense of denial and dissonance it creates is known to destroy lives. Twisting the truth, this is another harmful way and it eliminates the facts that you don't want to accept so it reduces the dissonant feeling. Uh, Seeking validation from others can be good if they have your best interests at heart but if they're negative influence on your life such as a toxic partner the removal of cognitive dissonance with them say, say validating your behavior, which you know may not be good, that is another way that people negatively reinforce the cognitive dissonance within themselves. 
Also, refusing the change of your current thoughts and beliefs allows you to adhere to them, removing the dissonance. That can be a negative thing, especially if it's a negative lifestyle. And uh, refusing to, uh, uh, healthy ways to, to reduce cognitive dissonance, there's many. Um, basically, it, 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 by the way, another term for cognitive dissonance is negative emotional conflict. All right, so if you want to heal from it, speak to a trusted friend, and I mean somebody that really gives you the straight up. If you keep your troubles to yourself and continue contradicting your own thoughts and feelings, it only serves to perpetuate your confusion and your self-doubt. Like it or not, you've experienced through psychological manipulation how to abuse yourself in a similar way as a a narcissistic partner or parent inflicted it upon you. So important aspect of this is to have at least one friend or relative who you can count on for positive, unbiased support. Don't seek support from friends and family who are well-meaning namby-pambies. You want somebody that will give you a true opinion. You know, um, somebody that will just give it to you straight. You also want to keep a written journal. You know, express the confusion and conflict going on in your head and in your heart by just pouring these thoughts down on paper. And if you do this, you liberate the trauma and become more self-aware of your inner thoughts, allowing you to consistently shift your thinking and go back to read about your entries about once a week to observe the patterns in your thoughts and observe whether they're becoming more positive or if they're slipping back into denial. Also, you want to uh, you want to uh, experiment with reading and writing poetry. Poetry really can help you remove your cognitive dissonance, uh, much like a journal, letting go of the trauma. It helps you connect and express your deepest feelings, your inner conflicts, fostering a sense of inner peace and tranquility. You know, you also want to try to become more empowered. Uh, introverts are more apt to emphasize negative outcomes of trauma, whereas extroverts are more apt to seek positive outcomes. In addition, extroverts tend to seek input from others, broadening their perspective on life and the situations, while introverts go out of their way to avoid the input. So if you're introverted, it would be very beneficial to join some positive social groups in your community, socializing with positive people who share your interests both personally professionally can reduce cognitive dissonance. And remember to choose a, a, a place that will emphasize new beginnings and positive outlooks. Also, um, once you begin to unload that dissonance in a healthier ways, uh, you begin to free tension from your spirit. You, you gain a much deeper self-awareness and start to become a quality person rather than just somebody that pleases and meets other people's needs and personifies things that they think people will accept. And that takes strength. And it definitely is very rewarding because that means you are a very attractive person in spirit. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about white lies. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, the dark self and uh, universal problem of cognitive dissonance. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. 
You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about the term cognitive dissonance and uh, how it affects our life. And it is truly one of the most human qualities about us being human. Everybody experiences it. And uh, once again, I'll try to define it a little bit. And then we'll go into kind of how it, how it works with white lies. You know, if you've ever been told a lie and felt uncomfortable because you see yourself as scrupulously honest, then you've experienced cognitive dissonance. It, it, it occurs when your ideas, your beliefs, your behavior contradict each other. And if, for example, you see yourself as smart, but you can't believe you made a dumb stock investment, you know exactly how do we choose to resolve the dissonance. And that means that we have to own up to our mistakes. You know, a lot of people want to appear perfect or they want to appear a certain way in people's eyes. And so they blow smoke up everybody's ass by giving them, you know, different uh, white lies to, to try to make them see them in that light. You know, we've all told the occasional white lie, whether where to spare someone's feelings or to avoid troubling them. But, you know, there's a there's a study that is out there that reports that doing so really impacts your own feelings in ways that we don't anticipate. You know, telling white lies can even cost us money. So what happens when we tell white lies to gloss over minor dissatisfactions we uh, encounter as consumers. You know, most of us make informed decisions as to when to complain about minor customer service infractions and when to let things slide. Um, The vast majority of us do not speak up in situations because our general complaining psychology has become more 
extremely defeatist. When it comes to our complaints, we feel much more comfortable expressing them to our friends than we do the companies and businesses that actually resolve them. And the truth is, guys, if you are somebody that sells something, your best customer is the one that is banging on your door complaining about the service that they're getting or the the, the product that they're getting because they are telling you how badly they need you. And so many people look at customer service as, uh, wow, these complaining, horrible people, when actually those are your most loyal customers. You know, what happens uh, if we not only fail to speak up, but eventually we tell a big white lie in a situation, although it seemed as much no harm could come from telling a, a waiter our meal is fine when we don't love it, but telling a hairdresser that we like our new do when, in fact, we're not thrilled with it, you know, um, you, that's not a thing you want to do. I mean, you. a lot of people are afraid of conflict, and conflict means that you're going to narrow the gap between cognitive dissonance. It means you're not going to have to make like a generalization that every time I come in this restaurant, the food's horrible after I said I like the food, uh, even if I didn't, uh, to the waiters. Um, you know, for example, if, if restaurants admitted telling white lies when their dining experiences were unsatisfactory, uh, the real interesting finding is that diners who told white lies to cover up the dissatisfactions were likely to leave bigger tips than those who did not. Why would diners who were less satisfied with their meals and who lied to their server about it leave an even bigger tip as a result? Well, it's because cognitive dissonance. They want to show the waiter that their words really are what they mean even though it's not what they mean. Isn't that amazing? They're protecting their own ego by living, uh, leaving a big old tip to a waiter when they didn't enjoy their dining experience, but they act like they did to the waiter. It's amazing that people will lie to themselves and not express what they really feel. You know, cognitive dissonance also refers to situations which our actions do not match our beliefs. Once again, this is why we said that before, but we tend to resolve this cognitive dissonance by making efforts to align. So as in this current study, we all have an acceptable range of dishonesty. While our white lies fall outside the range, it can trigger cognitive dissonance as we feel uncomfortable about dishonesty. So we might then try to reduce our cognitive dissonance by engaging in behaviors that actually favor the wrongdoer as by doing so to make up for the dishonesty. And as a result, we not only tell the waiter the soup is delicious, which is metaphorically has a fly in it, uh, then we can to tip them more money to reinforce the lie. And, and so, you know, seeing through white lies is important. You know, 95% of the servers in the study indicated that they knew when consumers were lying about such things as the food was satisfactory when it wasn't. And 100% of the ser servers, none of them who were trained as lie detectors or as a psychologist, believe such lies translated into bigger tips. Okay, so, you know, looking at that, people have to reinforce an image. So they may act like they're rich, but they're poor, but they go lease a very super expensive Mercedes-Benz. That's how you cost yourself money because you're personifying a person that you really aren't when you really should be driving a, a, a very simple, you know, uh, Chevy or some other thing, but they don't want to have that image out there. They want to have an image of something that they cannot afford so they can be somebody that they really are not. 
and that makes them feel good. But the problem is you drive up in that really shiny Mercedes and you're uh, eating at Carl's Jr. or uh, Taco Bell. Uh, that's a problem because if you're driving a Mercedes and you really are that person, you'd be going to these fine restaurants and spending lots and lots of money. So, you know, people will do dining experiences because it looks good. They'll do car experience because it looks good. They'll buy a house they can't afford and then go bankrupt. You know, people pay a big price for cognitive dissonance. If you can just be who you are in the moment you're in, your life would be so much better. You know, imagine yourself acting in a way that contradicts one of your most cherished inner beliefs. Uh, Let's say you got an abortion, even though you think abortion is immoral. Or you cheat on your spouse, even though you believe marital infidelity is a sin. You know, psychological scientists have known for decades that we humans and perhaps some primates are motivated to maintain cognitive consistency. So when we act in ways that are inconsistent with our attitudes and beliefs, we experience an adverse state of of mental tension because we're having to live in a lie. You know, consider a teenager who starts smoking even though they know smoking causes cancer. So cognitive dissonance is a psychological consequence. So dissonance is uncomfortable. It it makes us feel like a hypocrite. So we take steps to eliminate the dissonance. We can change our behavior. Okay, I stopped smoking. Now we can change our belief. Hey, the claims about cigarettes causing cancer are overblown. Okay, that is a way that a person tries to come to the middle. I mean, you just have to try and if you can do that you take a lot of tension out of your life you know uh, for example if I go back to that person driving the Mercedes or buying the really nice house what are they going to be able to do for their kids if they have no money what do you think their kids are going to be dressed as what do you think their kids are going to be going to school with what kind of friends do you think they're going to be having do you think they're going to be able to go out and, and play with these rich kids probably not you know once the peel back on who you really are takes place, you become a fraud and people move away from that. So you want to be who you are at where you're at. And that that is an important element in our life. And that doesn't mean only rich kids to play with rich kids and poor kids and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is that those people have a tendency to, to the people that tend to have more money, have more choices, people that don't, don't. And when you put those two, when you put a poor into a rich or a rich into a poor, they're not in their environment. And that's okay if that's who they are. But that takes strength. That takes wisdom. That takes character. You know, if if that is a way a person lives their life financially, they would not be in credit card trouble. They would not be out there spending to try to personify a perspective. You know, a lot of people need to do things that they love and they support the people in their life that they love. And when they support themselves more than they support the people in their life, they hurt the people in their life. You know, uh, there was a, uh, uh, a study by uh, Darren Lehman and uh, he's a psycholo- social psychologist. This was back in 1997 and Stephen Hine. And in their study, they asked a Canadian and Japanese participants to choose between two music CDs that they had rated earlier nearly identical in desirability. So after choosing a CD to take home, the participants rated both the CDs a second time. 
And like Americans in earlier studies, the Canadian participants typically change their options on the CDs. They emphasize the positive features of the chosen CD and the negative features of the rejected CD. And they needed to convince themselves that they had chosen the better CD as to eradicate the feelings of dissonance. Um, they, they, you know, they had a very startling discovery that the Japanese participants showed no evidence of dissonance. After choosing a CD, they continued, continued to uh, view both the CDs equally attractive and desirable. And by the way, if, if you don't know what a CD is, a CD is a CD, uh, is a disc, and it's basically what we used to put in our computers, what we used to put in our radios, stuff like that, that where we could play albums. Uh, nowadays, we just uh, don't have that. We, we go to iTunes and we pop it in and, and have our little um, iTunes experience rather than uh, getting our stuff at the store. And by the way, I used to work at a record store. Records with eight track tapes. That's how old I am. All right, now, um, their discovery raised the ideal possibility that some of Fessinger, and we talked about him earlier, some of his, uh, his uh, students had erred when they assumed that dissonance was universal. Researchers scrambled to design and conduct experiments using American, Canadian, Japanese, and Korean participants. Their findings led to a deeper understanding of cognitive dissonance and the addition of an important new component to the theory. So according to Joel Cooper at Princeton University, who was a researcher, expert, dissonance isn't restricted to a particular culture or religion. It's a general phenomenon experienced by people everywhere. But there's an important qualification to this overarching conclusion. Different cultural values can trigger different dissonance experiences. Generally speaking, people in independent societies experience dissonance when their behavior violates either a personal standard or a social standard. Both kinds of violations are psychological problematic uh, equally so. People with independent societies, however, are much more concerned about their violations of social standards. Indeed, the very idea of a personal standard that differs from the normal standard may be alien to them. For an independent person, disrupting social harmony and being rejected by others is one of the worst things that can happen to a person. So in everyday language, it seems that European Americans are motivated equally by feelings of shame and feelings of guilt, while Asians are motivated primarily by uh, feelings of shame. And shame is either, after all, a, a very quintessential social emotion, whereas guilt is an interpersonal phenomenon, something that's between you and your conscious. And you would literally be the last person on earth and still feel guilty about something. But shame is a feeling that requires the, the presence and actual or imagined of other people. And, and maybe this explains why many cultures have a hand gesture for shame on you, but, but a lack of a gesture for feeling guilty. All right. In relationships, misinterpreting the message of cognitive dissonance ruins marriage, a fact that totally eludes marriage therapists and relationship people who promote getting your needs met. You know, cognitive dissonance is the discomfort of self-image colliding with reality. Such collisions are inevitable as image tends to be based on values and what's most important to you while behavior is routinely directed in short-term comfort, pleasure, and utilitarian goals. So the common uh, cognitive dissonance in an intimate relationship is I'm in a loving and compassionate person, yet I'm not loving and compassionate to you at this moment. And, and, and we may resolve the cognitive dissonance 
uh, by, you know, giving choices that are the best chance of achieving a solid and authentic sense of self while improving your relationship. I'm in a loving, compassionate person, yet I'm not loving and compassionate to you at this moment. So this choice, therefore, I must try harder to understand your perspective and sympathize with any discomfort or pain that underlies it. Now, that is a healthy thing. That's a healthy thing is understanding a perspective and sympathize with any discomfort and pain that that utilizes it. Now, listen. It's important to understand that in marriage communication or relationship communication, your job is not to agree. Your job is to validate. I understand. I hear what you're saying. So what you're telling me is this. Your job is to understand your partner or somebody else's perspective and validate it. That's all you're entitled to do. You don't need to solve problems. And that's where people make mistakes in relationships. And then they uh, hold examples of bad behavior that a person has done. Most of these arguments are because they're using cognitive dissonance as a way to argue. But this time, when you went to this place, you didn't confront this person. Yet you're confronting me all the time when this happens. That's cognitive dissonance. That means a partner may not be receiving the same person, the same type of love, that uh, that person gives to everyone else. And so it's important in marriage, when you're looking at a marriage or a relationship or a friendship, is to study how much dissonance is there in this relationship. Because if there's a lot of dissonance, meaning that that one partner is being treated entirely different than other people, then you know that the person that is treating that person lacks integrity because they are not the same person at home when they are with the other people in life. They're not a consistent person. And that is a problem in a relationship because you got to deal with it all the time. And it's always a trust issue and it's always an argument because trust, the lack of trust makes all people psychotic. So, you know, using cognitive dissonance to to improve yourself and your relationship, it's easy to avoid the trap of cognitive dissonance in intimate relationships. Instead of asking what's wrong with your partner, ask what in me is making it hard for me to be compassionate right now? The answer will almost always be that, 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 that it's easy to understand that inside of you, why can't I be compassionate? You know, it's always guilt is truly what it is because you know what you're saying and what you're doing are wrong or shame that you feel inadequate or fear. I'm afraid of your response. The only thing that relieves guilt and shame of violating a value is investing more energy in the value, ignoring it or continuing to violate it by blaming your behavior on your partner. And that will only aggravate guilt and shame no matter how much you try to hide your failure beneath resentment, anger and self-righteousness. And um, people that defend their cognitive dissonance are very self-righteous, but they are very deluded. And they're also very insecure because they know they're living lies. And they don't know when they're going to be caught, how they're going to be caught, and if they are caught. And so you, you always want to lessen that cognitive dissonance in your life. If you want to be more compassionate, then what you want to do is focus on process, not bad decisions. If you're going to confront somebody with their cognitive dissonance, you want to know what they were thinking, not establishing you did this, you did this, you did this. These negative events, if you're just going to attack them, they're going to give you more justification of why they did it. What you really want you to do is hear what 
made up that decision for them. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about Santa Claus. We're going to talk about the Dark Triad. Come back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about the term cognitive dissonance, which is a contradiction between our beliefs and our actions. It's when we don't exercise what we express that we are. We don't, we don't necessarily represent who we truly are. Um, cognitive dissonance can begin as early as Santa Claus. I mean, when, when as a child you first encounter the idea that Santa Claus might not be real, I bet you balked. And usually you looked up to older, wiser kids, but they seem to naive to suggest that, 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 that your parents were actually stuffing your stocking. You know, why on December 24th would the weatherman bother to use the radar to track a hefty guy flying around the world on a sleigh if they weren't genuine? Jolly old elf called Saint Nick. And on this note, you know, you might have sided with the younger kids and st- because you were still enchanted with visiting Santa in the shopping mall, rattling off mile-long wish lists, and appease your own mind. By the way, I ended up having to be a Santa Claus in a, in a mall one day because the Santa Claus that um, was working happened to go to the Cheesecake Factory and drank a little bit too much. And uh, I was the only person that had uh, fingerprints and ended up being the Santa Claus for three days at a mall. And let me tell you, that is the most exhausting experience you will ever have. I don't know how these old dudes do it. <laughs> and I wasn't old. They had to make it all up for me. But, uh, you know, I wasn't that old. But anyway, um, the the idea of Santa Claus is really tough for us. To, that's a, that's when kids are. That's one of the biggest concepts that kids have to drift back to to understand that ah, oh, there really is no Santa Claus, and that's a big letdown. You know, it's like why did all these people lie to me? Well, they lied to you because they wanted you to enjoy the holidays. So that's that little white lie, and that means my parents can lie to me. Oh my gosh! All right, you know it has. 
since been confirmed in laboratory experience, and it's, it's, it's not a phenomenon restricted to prophesizing fringe groups, but the fact a mechanism we all use to cope with the, the heart sink, sinking feeling that we get from inconsistencies between our actions and our attitudes and experiences when, with the world around us, when our ideas don't fit the mold, when we want to change them until they do. And in this mental way of making lemonade, when life hands out uh, psychic lemons, you know, we might want to account for a very complicated mental attack but we have to be able to st- or task, but we have to study it. You know, MRI has become one of the most common techniques for studying the human brain, and it's developed uh, a very uh, strong uh, examination of cells, and, and uh, actually seven, several hundred billion of them, in fact, to work in concert to allow us to perceive and interact with the world around us. But besides this advances in neuroscience made with MRI, it still requires subjects uh, to sit motionless in, in, a, in a crammed tube uh, for up to an hour, not necessarily the ideal location for experimenting with complex emotional experiences, but including cognitive dissonance within the confines of the scanner, re- which requires a clever experience. So, and one of the central figures of cognitive dissonance is the awareness of contradictory thoughts. A similar experience um, uh, during a, a Stroop task where you're asked to identify the color of a font, say red, blue, when reading the names of different colors. So it takes longer to identify the blue font as being blue when reading the word red. And so during this conflict, a region of the brain called the dorsal anterior uh, cingulate cortex lights up with activity. So the, the DACC, which is what it's also called, also involved in pain perception, is tucked away in the central folds of the brain and lies at the juncture of the rational frontal cortex and the emotional regions such as the the amygdala. And and so that might account, that doc might account for some more complex discord between actions and attitudes. So this team of neuroscience at UC Davis, um, Vincent Van Veen Veen is the uh, leader of that. They concocted an experiment to research participants could experiment cognitive dissonance with the MRI scanner by expressing their ideas that they didn't actually believe. So Van Veen had participants complete a board task by, by confining the scanner and also responding to a series of statements rating the degree to which they enjoyed the tedious experience of a scale of one to six. So one group was asked to exaggerate their enjoyment for a payment of a dollar for each positive response. The second group was asked to overstate their enjoyment because another participant was waiting to be scanned but was nervous and needed reassurance. The second group was offered no compensation. Both groups also rated a series of uh, natural sciences uh, to be sure that they had the difference. And and what what do you think? Imagine of those two people. Type one is a selfish, dishonest, uh, uh, hostile, and cold-hearted. Type two is generous, friendly, honest, and warm. Which one would you like better? Well, which one would you pick to be your boss, your friend, your partner? Which type would you want your child to be? Uh, to be friend them or would ty- or succeed? So the guess is that most people will want to choose type two, which is a generous, honest, friendly, and warm person. So if people uh, prefer type two, why do we see so many successful, well-connected, powerful people uh, that are decidedly type one? Well, 
one way to understand this is there's a dark triad, and it's a term used in psychology to describe three aversive yet functional uh, traits, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. Narcissism consists of dominance, motivation, a sense of entitlement, perceived superiority combined with the intolerance to criticism. Machiavellianism includes uh, uh, social charm, deceitful behavior aimed at undermining others, and a reliance on manipulation. And psychopathy shows itself uh, in low, absent empathy, high impulsivity, heartless social attitudes, interpersonal hostility. Taken together, the most powerful tendency underlying all these dark triad traits is a knack for exploiting other people. From an evolutionary perspective, these dark traits may be selected if they confer an advantage for you to survive. And so many people will fall on these traits in order to survive in the environment they're in. Many people that are abused will fall back on these traits unjustifiably and they they actually become a part of their character because these traits got them through and made them be the minority rather than uh, the, the majority rather than the minority. That means that they had a better chance at survival. You know, it stands to reason that just as to confer the advantage of a mating uh, game or the absence of anxiety coupled with the knack for self-promotion, what you, what you have to look at is the people that are type 2, they're generous, front, honest, friendly, and warm. Well, they are playing a submissive role. They're playing a savior role. And that savior role, if they give too much, they may not exist. And so people that are generous, honest, and friendly, and warm which is a quality that all of us want, those people may actually have less of a chance to survive than the narcissistic Machiavellian and psychopaths. And so, sickly, many people, especially in a work environment, will fall into their narcissistic Machiavellian and psychopathy to show that they're on top of the herd and the rest of us are just herds. The other thing is, is that people that experience that may come home because they don't have it at work or don't have it in their social lives and they found somebody who is submissive, honest, friendly, and warm and they take out their narcissism and Machiavellianism and psychopathy on that person in order to make themselves feel better. And so, sickly, people will kill a relationship if they focus on the relationship by taking that survival behavior and implementing it into their social context. People, if we don't, if we're not all trying to survive, we can stop and realize that we're safe, that we're safe in in a culture with, with law enforcement and all the things that we have with laws. When you're safer, you have less of a need for psychopaths, for Machiavellians. And for uh, um, narcissism, unfortunately, many people learn these traits when they're young because they have parents that are that way. And that's what they had to learn to survive getting through a childhood. So a brain genetically evolves and gets converted. And I know this is kind of a... Uh, this is kind of a, a, a way to understand this, but an evolutionary way to understand it. But the, the deal is, is that all of a sudden, um, cognitive dissonance is created because we don't want the conflict from the narcissists, the psychopaths, and the Machiavellians. They drive this disorder, this cognitive dissonance, because you don't want to have to confront them to survive. So you create lots of white lies. You create lots of things that they think you believe, but you really don't believe, because that's what it takes to get along with them. 
Okay, I hope that was something you can understand. It's very complicated. So, you know, more recently, if you look at psychopathy and narcissism and how they affect you, uh, the the unethical decision-making process that it drives, uh, you want to be able to identify, do I have these characteristics? You know, do I tend to manipulate others to get my way? Um, I've used deceit or lied to get my way. I've used flattery to get my way. I tend to exploit others towards my own end. I tend to lack remorse. I tend to be unconcerned with the morality of my actions. I tend to be cautious and insensitive. Once again, I'm looking at the qualities that make up people that are psychopaths, Machiavellians, and narcissists. Do, do you tend to be cautious and insensitive? Do you tend to be cynical? Do you tend to want others to admire you? Do you tend to want others to pay attention to you? Do you tend to seek prestigious or status? Do you tend to expect special favors from other people? People who rate high on dark triad characteristics may find uh, career success, but not in the way that most of us will want our kids to achieve it. And they're likely to finish their careers in some form of disrepute. You know, and, and so you probably wouldn't want one as your boss, your friend, or a long-term partner. And people can succeed by being warm and bringing out the better in people. And oftentimes people are protective of these narcissistic, nasty Machiavellian people that they see in their life. And so they develop techniques to get away from them or to try to put up with them. So what is a dark self? You know, um, you know, say, you know, bling toting rappers, gender studies, you know, people who abuse their children, these are the dark self that you would never suspect somebody often as having. But a lot of people have cognitive dissonance because they have a dark self. And they find an environment and they find people in their life who will accept that dark self. You know, it offers a whole lot of surprises in psychology. You know, when you actually see the dark self in operation, it's it can be kind of scary. But I call it job security because that means they need therapy. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it again and again, a dark self would be like a person who claims they're not having affairs, but they, they've had lots of affairs. That's the dark self. That's the secret person. And there's a lot of secret persons out there. There's a lot of people who live a lie, who know what they're doing is wrong. They would tell other people it's wrong, but yet they do what's wrong. You know, it's sad. It's very sad. You know, if let's say somebody, let's just say just from a therapeutic perspective, let's say somebody's having an affair. Well, what do you think is going to happen to that person who's having an affair, both of them, or one of them, especially if you're single and you're having an affair with somebody that's married, what do you think it's going to do to those children if they divorce? What do you think? And do you even think about it? Because if you had to actually justify that to those children and to that person who you're having an affair with spouse, can you really do that? I mean, but a lot of people do. A lot of people have affairs. 60% of our population of married people, people in relationships, have affairs. And that's a sad thing. But, you know, people that do cognitive dissonance don't understand how their actions and their language truly hurt people. And once they're accounted for, how it affects everybody. You know, uh, if you think about the dudes that were running Equifax, where Equifax uh, five months ago, got hacked into, and suddenly these guys sold all their stock for $2 million, and yet they acted like nothing happened. 
That's called cognitive dissonance. And, and this is what people in legal situations use to uh, get their way and to make their arguments. But the more dissonance there is, the less you can trust what they have to say. Just look at our politicians. Wonderful thing. All right. So this dark person, this dark self is something that we want to confront. And if we feel like we're living in the shadow of our dark self, we want to get out from under it. All right. That's our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. My email is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or at drgbmft on Twitter. Now, remember, behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. That's from Jim Carrey. People who think they know everything are a great annoyance to those of us who do. That's Isaac Asimov, and he was a, a science fiction writer back in the 50s. Discretion and diplomacy are just polite words for hypocrisy. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.